Well, good morning, Oakwood, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are here today. It's a great day to be in the Lord's house and to uh, be a part of what He's doing, the work He's doing here at Oakwood, and uh, just excited to uh, be with you here this morning. This will be the last installment of our series on marriage called uh, We Can Work It Out, and we'll be uh, talking about that uh, this morning. But before we, we go any further, you know, one of the things that I've, I've thought about as uh, we're doing this series uh, is thinking about the differences between men and women. I don't know if you've ever uh, taken some time and really thought about that, but that's something that should be celebrated, right? That God made us different. Uh, so one of the things that should be uh, maybe more in the forefront of our mind as we're interacting with each other, especially us married folks, that uh, when we, when we uh, interact with, with our, our, our spouse, that they're a little bit different. They might think things differently. They might um, have things that are more meaningful to you uh, to them than they are to you. They've, they might have uh, things that they, they have personal preferences, and sometimes they just have styles and decisions, and everything's just maybe a little bit different. And uh, I think that's okay, and I think it's good to recognize that and to celebrate it. I, I don't know if any of you have ever uh, been online, seen one of these things, but I've seen it several times. How many of you have ever seen a list called The Rules? And it's written by men, for, it's written by women for men. Have you ever read the rules? You know, the rules are like, you know, put the toilet seat down and, you know, don't do, don't do this in front of us and don't do that in front of us. Um, there's uh, things on there like don't drink out of the milk jug and, you know, make sure that you shut the fridge and please pick up your dirty socks and your, you know, it, it's those kind of things. That's the rules. And that's all over the place. Well, I, I was wondering this week as I was doing some research, I was like, I wonder if there's like the rules that guys write for women. And I thought, well, we should find that. And I did. I found a list. And there was actually 50 of them that men wrote for women. I thought, it's Mother's Day. We should share this in church. We should talk about this. So I'm not going to share all 50. I'm, going, I'm only going to share a handful of these this morning. But these is the opposite rules, okay? So this is the rules that guys wrote for their wives. And, and this is what it says. It says, learn to work the toilet seat. You're a big girl. If it's up, put it down. I need it up, you need it down. You don't hear us griping about you leaving the toilet seat down all the time. That's true, right? Second rule is crying is blackmail. Enough said. (laughs) Crying is blackmail. Don't do that. Another rule is birthdays, Valentine's Days, anniversaries are not quests to see if we can find the perfect present yet again. Low expectations, please. Another one, Saturdays and Sundays equals watching sports. It's like the full moon or the changing of the tides. Let it be. Let it be. Please tell us what you want. Let us be clear on this one. Subtle hints do not work. Strong hints do not work. Obvious hints do not work. Just say it. Can we get an amen on that? If something we said to you can be interpreted two ways, and one of those ways makes you sad or angry, we meant it the other way. (laughs) Promise. If you come to us with a problem, only come to us if you want us to solve it. That's what we do. Sympathy is what your friends do for you. Well, that might be argued in marriage, right? Last one here. If we ask what is wrong and you say nothing... We will act like nothing's wrong. Fact is, we know you're lying, but it's just not worth the hassle. You've got to celebrate the difference sometimes. And 
I was thinking about moms and momisms and things that I've experienced myself or things that some of my friends have experienced through the years, you know, uh, love, love moms and their caring nature and the way they're there for us. But moms do funny things sometimes. And moms are the only creatures on the, on the planet. You, you know you've seen your mom uh, or maybe your wife do this where she's vacuuming the house because they love a clean floor, right? I mean, guys, if you want to you know, do something for your wife today, go home and vacuum, okay? Get that vacuum out. But they're the only creature on the planet. If you go over something like seven times and it won't pick it up, and they reach down, they pick it up, and they look at it, and instead of putting it in the trash, they sit it down for one more chance. You've seen that? They go over it some more. They're the only people that'll do that. They won't, they won't throw it away. They're going to give it one more chance to get in that vacuum bag. You know, some of your moms, they, they show off, don't they? They like to show off what they know. You ever had your mom count to three? You ever had a count of three in, one, in front of your friends? You know, one, two, three. Moms, moms say funny things. Like, have you ever heard your mom say this? If, if you're going out the back door and you left it open like an inch. And what does she say? She says something like, we're not trying to air condition the whole neighborhood. Shut that door. You know, moms say things like this. Is it hot in here or is it just me? Is it cold in here or is it just me? One time there was a tornado outside. Like, is it windy out here or is it just me? And sometimes... Mothers will ask you questions that just don't need answers. In fact, it's baffling. And if you think of yourself, put yourself in the shoes of like a five-year-old, okay? And mom asks them this, do you want a spanking? (laughs) Gee, mom, yeah, I do. (laughs) With a big two-by-four, baseball bat, aluminum, I, I don't know. Moms will also ask you other questions like, just who do you think you are? How do you answer that? Have you ever, you know, another one that kind of reverses that on you is, who do you think you're talking to? Well, I thought you were my mom. (laughs) You know, they say things like, hey, you know, they care about you a lot. They say things before you go outside, like it's been cold this week. And you know, if you're at home with your mom, what would she have said? Put a coat on or you'll catch a cold out there. It's like, you can't catch a cold from the cold. You catch it from germs and stuff, but you put your coat on. You know, mom, sometimes when you were a kid, she wanted you to be safe and you're outside and you're running around with your friends and you got, you know, you found some stick in the yard. You're running around with a pointy stick, you know, right toward your face. And what did she say? Mom said, put that stick down and you'll poke your eye out. Have you ever thought about that? I always thought you poke your eye in, but you'd be really talented to like poke it out. <laughs> like, but sometimes moms would get so flustered, they just mix up their words and they'd say things like, don't you look at me in that tone of voice. Then you know you're in trouble, right? Then you know you're in trouble. Well, God made us different, and then He bonds us together in marriage. You know, one thing I think we could all say about moms is moms are there for you. There is a reason. They said, call me when you get there. There's a reason. It's because they care. They wanted to know. You always feel like they're being snoopy. Like, eh, they always want to know everything about my life. They're always up in my business. It's because they love you because they want to make sure you're safe. They want to make sure that you're secure and they're watched out for. And let's remember that uh, nurturing nature in women as we continue our marriage series today. Let's pause for a moment and let's just bow our heads and let's pray to God. And and if you would, just pray uh, that, that prayer with me today. Just pray, Lord, today, speak to me. And we all ask that in the name of Jesus and say, Amen. Amen. May it be so. You know, one of the problems I think that's really hard in the Christian life is when we know the way we're supposed to live 
And we have a hard time putting that into action. And so many times when that happens, I would say outside of the church, I would say out in the, out in the public, you know, out in the community, out in the, the public realm, it seems like we, we run into this, this problem. And, and this, it's this thing that, that the world would call hypocrisy. Now that word kind of as Christians just makes us shudder. There's not one of us in here that wants to be called a hypocrite. Because if you're called a hypocrite, that means you're claiming truth and to know and to be something here and you're not living it here. And I think so many times we think about that out in the world, right? You know, we've come to church and on Sunday morning and then we go out and, 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 and we use foul language on the sports field during the week. Or we come in here and we act like we're just a kind person and a nice person. And then we go to work this week and we treat everybody at work like a piece of junk. You know, and we think of those in, in, in terms of this hypocrisy lived outside, right? But I want us to bring it internal today. I want us to think about hypocrisy in the terms of our families. What happens in our house? What happens in our marriage? Are we living in a hypocritical manner at home? Not, not out in the world, not out the workplace, not out at, out at our club or soccer field or when we go out with our friends. It's not, it's not that. It's, is there hypocrisy being lived out at home? You know, hypocrisy was a big deal to the first century believer. Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek and to a Greek audience when they would read this Scripture and they would see this word hypocrisy, it actually is in the New Testament several times. When they would read that word, they would automatically get an image in their mind and the image in their mind was this. The hypocrisy or hypocrite or hypocrites, as they would pronounce it, was a theatrical term. And what it meant was that an actor or an actress was putting on a mask and pretending to be someone who they're not. Now, acceptable in theater, right? I mean, you know, right? You do that in theater because that's what an actor or actress does. That's what you do. But not acceptable in life. In fact, in life, we hate those kind of people because it defines who they are. It's the very essence. Are you faking something? Are you acting like you're one way but doing something different over here? And it affects your character. And one of the problems, I think, that we have at home in our families, in our home life, and in our marriages especially, is hypocrisy lived out in our home. So today as we go through the Scripture, I want you to be thinking about the context of the home and of the marriage, not what's going on outside of there. Because so many times I think we put on masks and we try to act like we're a Christian. We try to act like we have it all together. We have it all figured out. And even though we don't, we like to act that way sometimes. We're about to read a passage of Scripture that talks to Christ followers. And it tells us really how we should live, how we should, should socialize and have relationships and guidelines for relationships with one another. And again, normally we'd read a text like this and we'd try to apply it to work tomorrow, but I want you to again apply this to the home and apply this to the marriage as we unpack this together. It's found in Colossians chapter 3. So if you turn there in your Bible, Colossians chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, uh, you can just uh, grab one of the Bibles that's there around you, uh, turn it to page 984. You'll be exactly where we need to be this morning in the book of Colossians. Right there in chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse, verse 12. Now, I'd venture to mention James 1.22, which was from last week's uh, message, which says, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
And so we could all listen to the Scripture today, but if nothing changes in our life, nothing changes in our life. If nothing changes in our, in our spirit, in our walk with the God, in our, in our yield to obedience of the Holy Word of Scripture, then nothing's going to change in our marriage. Nothing's going to change in our family life. And so uh, l- let's pay attention to today and let's not merely hear, let's not merely listen, but let's actually put into practice what we hear this morning. Beginning with verse 12, Colossians chapter 3. This is what it says. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, holy being set apart, beloved being the loved children of God, the children that God loves so much. So put on then, as God's chosen ones, who are to be holy and beloved, put on what? Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now just based on what we just read, can you picture a home where these qualities are lived out? Can you picture a marriage where a husband and wife live out these things with one another? Would it perhaps create what it says at the very end of verse 14? Perfect harmony. Let's unpack that this morning. And I want to begin with this. That we need to understand this this morning. How you choose to treat and interact with your spouse is your choice. It is a choice. It is a daily decision that you make in your heart. It's just not a mind decision when it involves your spouse. It is actually a heart decision. We need to acknowledge the way that we treat our spouse. And we need to acknowledge and own that that is a decision. Because I think so many times we make excuses. Well, I'm tired. It works hard. And so I come home, I treat you that, I'm going to blame work. You know, I'm coming over here and, and, and doing that because I'm blaming this over here, this stress that I had in my life, you know. Well, or, or you know, I'm just, I'm just tired and that's why I am the way I am. And, and I want you to notice here, it's a choice that we make because right here at the beginning of verse 12, it says to put on these things, to put on these qualities as we interact with each other. And we're doing it as holy and beloved children of God. He's put this call upon our hearts and our lives and He's there to help us. He sent us the Holy Spirit to guide us into these things that we're going to put on. Now, when you read put on in the text, it's again, it's not just what you do, it's who you are as a Christian. And literally, the original language here, put on means to sink into oneself. And what the Scripture is trying to convey here to us is that these things would sink into our character. That these things would be a part of who we are from deep within us. And then he gives us this list that we're supposed to sink into our character. This list that we're supposed to put on. The first one is a compassionate heart. Then we need to put on compassion. Literally, that means it is from the bowels or the gut of innermost mercy felt for someone. This is something that you felt in your life when one time you saw something and your reaction was compassion. For many of us who are so blessed to live here in the United States, it's when you maybe see a child that's suffering from starvation in a third world country. That you can actually feel it that the compassion pours out of you. 
Maybe it's somebody that's homeless. Maybe it's somebody that's going through a struggle. Maybe it's somebody whose house just burned down. They've lost everything. And you feel compassion in a way that's not just in your mind, oh, I feel so, so bad for them. But you actually can feel it in your body. That's what it's talking about, a deep compassion. Jesus had this type of compassion. He always had it on those that were lost or that were needy in the Bible. And it's mentioned several times in Scripture. It's mentioned several times in Scripture that Jesus had compassion on people. And then it would give a reason. One time it said Jesus had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like spiritual sheep without a spiritual father. And they were lost. And they were reeling in life. And it says that He had compassion on them. It's the same word. That He felt that from deep within Him. You see, compassion gives us the ability to, to, to deal with things in our life, to overlook faults, to have tender mercy on someone. Now, let's apply this to the home. We're thinking about it in third world countries. We're thinking about it in the community. And those that are lost and those that have these things happen. But what about a compassionate heart in your marriage? What about you having compassion on your spouse? And they're going through a hard time. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they've had something happen at work that's brought this just undue stress on their life and in their heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're just going through a season where they just feel like they can't get a win. And you have this tendency to be frustrated because it seems like your felt needs have been pushed down the list. And yet, God says, put on compassionate hearts. Do you do that for your spouse? Do you have compassion? Have you ever looked at your spouse and taken a step back and away and felt from deep within you compassion for what they're going through? Compassion for their situation? And I wonder how that might bless a marriage if we were a people of compassion. If we had compassion with our spouses. The next thing he gives us in the list there in, in, in verse 12 is kindness. We're supposed to put on a compassionate heart, but we're all supposed to put on kindness. And kindness is one of those things kind of soft, right? Kindness is not exciting. We all know what kindness is. You know, every, your mom always preached it to you, didn't she? Oh, you need to be kind. Be kind to your little brother, even though he's pestilent. Just be kind. Be kind to people when they're mean to you and turn the other cheek and always treat them with kindness. And but I want you to think, well, let's take a step back again and let's really think about kindness. Kindness. Give kindness always. Even when it's undeserving. And I'm telling you what, if you treat if you treat people that are mad, angry, resentful, bitter, if you treat them with kindness, man, that really disarms a person. It's hard to drum up hatred and want to shoot arrows at somebody when they're nothing but kind to you. But when was the last time in your house when was the last time in your marriage that you were actually kind? So simple, right? Yes, so profound. One of those found in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The other one he gives us there, the next one, is humility. That we're supposed to be a person that is humble. Humility is, that, is the fact that you are considering someone as better or more important than yourself. And, and some of us, we're really good at doing that with people other than our spouse or other than our own family. 
It's, a, it's amazing how we will be, live humility outside of the home, but when we come home, we demand our own way. Sometimes I feel like our, our spouse gets the worst of us. They get the leftovers because we've lived out humility in so many er- other areas of life. We've been a humble servant all day long, and when we get home, it's like, I don't want to be a humble servant anymore. I want to demand my way. And we well up with pride. We well up with demands on our spouse. Sometimes I think the people closest to us are the people we are the least humble toward. We don't humble ourselves and we don't look for ways to serve them. And again, I want us to think about this in the context of our home. If humility was lived out in the home, if a husband and a wife would come together and have this attitude as they interact of, of just being, I'm a humble servant. I'm, I'm here to help you. Maybe, maybe you can jump in and cook dinner. Maybe you can take out the trash. Maybe you need help with the household work. But to approach each other with humility, not the demands of pride. I wonder what that marriage might look like. So He gives us compassionate hearts. He gives us kindness. He gives us humility. And as He continues in verse 12, then He gives us gentleness. I'm going to say gentleness here. I know in the Scripture it says meekness. I think a better translation of this word would be gentleness. When was the last time you were gentle toward your spouse? And I want you to really think about this. And this is probably um, for the guys, but sometimes, ladies, you can be a little harsh too. Is your communication with your spouse gentle? Or is it harsh? Let's take it a step further. Is there anything gentle about your character? Are you characterized? When people think of you, do they characterize you as a gentle person? Or are you harsh and demanding all the time? And again, we go back to Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, evidence of of the believer's life and the Holy Spirit's work in it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness again. And then we get to the last one. We're compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness, or meekness. And the last one he gives us there is patience. Again, I think patience means more than than just being patient. I think when we hear that word, we immediately think of of being in the line um, at at the drive-thru at the restaurant, and we're being patient because there's four cars in front of us and it's taking 20 minutes to get our food. And that's what we think of when we read the word patience. And that's not what it's talking about here at all. What it's talking about here is long-suffering forbearance. He's going to talk about it in the next verse that we're going to bear with one another. That's the idea of patience here. It's long-suffering with one another. And when we are patient, we do pause. We have to give pause for a moment. And we have to think about, we talked about this a little bit last week, about the difference between hearing and listening. That the listening part takes time. That we have to pause, we have to think about what it means to be patient to be long-suffering with. This type of patience brings in an internal calm to an external storm. This kind of patience shows wisdom and implores us to think and to consider. And I want you to think about it and consider this morning. Patience in your marriage. Patience at home. Because I think this is how you'll bear with one another through years of marriage is to be long on patience. And having this idea of long-suffering, this idea of forbearance that you're going to bear with one another through it, I think is, is really, really good. 
Because if you have been married probably more than two years, then you've probably already gone through a season of this. You've gone through that season with your spouse where they're going through something and you feel like the only thing that maybe is holding us together right now is my patience, my long-suffering. I'm not trying to hurry up and just fix the problems. I'm walking through this with you. Patience. And see, all of these ways that we are called to treat and interact with each other are all of a choice. And it's a daily decision we make not just with our mind, but with our heart. And it leads us to the second thing this morning. You can choose to hang on to hurts and the past, or you can let them go. You can choose to hang on to the hurts and what they did to you in the past, or you can choose to let them go. What does it say uh, right there in the, next, in the next verse? It says, bearing with one another. That we're going to be bearing with one another. That says, you know what? I'm going to do my part to work this Thing out. That says, I've made a commitment to you and I'm in this for the long haul and I'm not going to bail on you when it gets tough. We're going to bear with one another. There's a lot of bearing with one another that happens in a marriage. Because we're all sinners. We're all going to make mistakes. When you say you're going to bear with one another and you make that commitment to each other in a marriage, you're saying, let's figure this out because divorce is not an option here. In fact, I would encourage you to make that something that is up front in your marriage. That even when we fight, and even when we are just at each other and we're going through a hard season, we're going to turn to bearing with one another and long-suffering and patience. We're not going to turn... To divorce. In fact, divorce is not going to be in our vocabulary. We're not going to throw it up when we fight, when things get really heated. We're not going to make that threat and make the kids always wonder if that's going to happen to my family. Well, no, we're not going to use that as an option. And when you do that and you say, I'm choosing to bear with one another, that's staying power in a marriage. That's a marriage that's built on the rock of Jesus Christ that says, you know what? I'm going to bear with you. And then he tells us how in the rest of verse 13 there. He says, bearing with one another, if one of you has a complaint against another, what does it say? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Not an option. You must forgive. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about forgiveness. Uh, And the main reason is I had a whole message on this a couple weeks before Easter. Um, and if you want to go back and check that online in the series called Baggage Part 4, we talked about forgiveness, had a whole message on that. But I do want to say this, that we must practice forgiveness in the home. Okay, We must pro- practice forgiveness with our spouse, and that will probably be the person you most forgive in your life. Now I know, somebody pop in your mind right now, and you're like, no, 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 no. I have to give, forgive this person more, this person. No, no, no. I guarantee you it's your spouse you're keeping the tally marks. There's a lot of forgiveness that has to happen in a marriage. And if you're going to bear with one another, that bearing with one another is practiced through forgiveness. So you may as well make it a habit. You may as well make it a habit that you, you know, because the fact is you're going to mess up and they're going to mess up. There's going to be times where you sin against each other and you hurt each other and you have to step up to the plate and forgive. Part of doing that is you got to leave the past behind you you got to leave the past behind you. Now, to make this more memorable for you this morning, um, I prepared a video clip with a couple theologians, Timon and Pumbaa. 
off of Lion King, okay? They have a little clip here and it kind of explains it in a different way. So turn your attention to the screen here. See what they have to say. You know, kid, in times like this, my buddy Timon here says you got to put your behind in your piss. No, no, uh, no. I mean, amateur, lie down before you hurt yourself. It's you got to put your past behind you. You got to put the past behind you. Now, if it helps you remember it better that you got to put your behind in the past. Like Pumbaa said, then that's fine. Okay, but you'd be like Timon and say, hey, don't hurt yourself here. But you got to, you do. You got to put the past behind you. You know, when I've done marriage counseling and helped couples through the years, you know, they're always talking about what happened in the past. Well, eight years ago, when he, the first time, well, five years ago, when she started, and then they get into these things like always and never. I hate those words when you're fighting. Don't ever use those when you're fighting with your spouse. Because you're a liar. They're never true, okay? Well, he's never, our whole marriage ever. Really, never? Well, maybe early on. Well, maybe for the first few years, you know. Well, she always says that. She oh, oh always? She always said that? You still married her? No, well, maybe not always, but the first few years. But, but now, and the fact is, there's no place for that. We've got to forgive. We've got to move on. And the fact is that most people that struggle in their marriage and they're still fighting, they still feel discontent, is because they don't. They don't forgive and they don't move on. I'm just going to hang on to the past. I'm going to hang on to what you did to me and what you said to me that should have never proceeded from your mouth. Yes, but forgive me as the Lord forgave you for what proceeded from your mouth. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's not an option, the Scripture says. We must forgive. I think it's amazing that sometimes we're good at forgiving our friends. Yeah, he's a little squirrely and did this, but I forgive him. Yeah, she said this about me, but I forgive her. But when it comes to our spouse, we withhold that forgiveness. The person we're the closest to in the closest relationship is the one that we choose not to forgive. You can choose to hang on to hurts. You can hang on to the past. Or you can choose to let them go. But then it ties it up in our passage today in verse 14. It says, and above all, above all, above all of these other things, all these other qualities that He's given us, above compassionate hearts, above kindness, above humility, above gentleness and meekness, above patience, above bearing with one another, and above forgiveness, above all of these things, what does it say? Put on love. Why? Because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. That word love there is a special kind of love. It's very specific. It's agape. It means an unconditional love of the will. It's a love of choice. It says, I choose to love you. But what about if I don't meet this need in your life? I choose to love you. But what if I said this and messed up over here? I choose to love you. I choose to love you. I choose to love you. And when you see this lived out in marriage, it's a beautiful thing. Because you're looking at the other person and said, you know, when I married you, I may have thought you were perfect. I know you're not perfect now. I smell that halitosis every morning. When you get up, never smelled that on a date, but every day I smell that. You get to the point where you you know what? I love you. I love you in spite of all that. And I'm choosing to love you because love is the stuff that binds. And agape love is the sticky that keeps a marriage together. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in what? In perfect harmony. 
How many of us want that in our marriage relationship? Perfect harmony? Really? Yes. If you choose, love. And I like this idea of binding. I like this idea of binding things together. It reminded me of a passage from Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes was written uh, by King Solomon and it's called Wisdom Literature. And King Solomon all through Ecclesiastes talks about a lot of different topics. But all the topics he squares about the world and about riches of the world, about relationships in the world, and even about marriage, he relates back to having God's involvement in everything. Listen to this passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9-12. through It says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And you may be sitting here this morning, you may say, well, I'm single. <laughs> Marriage series has been hard for me. And you read a passage like that, it says two get a better return for their work. But I don't have that. Yes, you do. You have your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what's talking here in Scripture about two, it's talking about you and the Lord. Me and Jesus. When I lie down together, He keeps me warm. We have a good return for our work because I'm doing it with the Lord of God Almighty. Now, check this out. You go through all this in a different light. You read all this Ecclesiastes stuff in a different light when you're thinking about the Lord. That you and the Lord are better because you have a good return for your labor. You and the Lord, if you fall down, He's there to bring you back up. Pity the person that doesn't have someone to bring them back up because they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Two lie down together, they'll keep warm. Praise the Lord, He's going to take care of your needs. How will one keep warm alone? Someone who doesn't have the Lord. And then apply this to your marriage. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. But a cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken. Because if you just take two pieces of string and you try to tie them, wind them, twist them, however, not near as strong as the cord of three. In fact, won't stay together. will come unraveled. And that's what happens in so many marriages. Is now I was with God and now I'm not with God and that's just me and her. Good luck. That is not going to work. That's not a cord of three strands. You're doing the two strands. And you're going to come unraveled right away. And it's going to be really hard and at some point it might snap. But you bring God in that relationship and you make that a cord of three strands. One of the things I always talk about in, in, in marriage counseling is if God is in the center of the relationship, if God's right here in the middle and you're here and you're here, but you're both growing toward God, guess what? You're getting closer to each other too. It's the most amazing thing in the world that as you grow closer to Christ, and as your spouse grows closer to Christ, you grow closer together. You're going to have a strong marriage. And that's the difference. You know what we can work it out means? We can work it out when the we equals three. Not two. Not just you and her, you and him. But three. Because God is going to be in that relationship. And when we do that, we can live with compassionate hearts. We can practice gentleness and all the things that we talked about today. We have to have our hearts surrendered to Christ Jesus.
Let's pray about that this morning. Would you bow with me?